Welcome to the Friday Night Clive podcast with me, Clive Payne. In this podcast, we look back at the amazing charities, organisations and people we have chatted to over the past few months, all of whom have interesting and important stories to tell. Now, drowning accidents are especially high in the summer months. And over the last few years, we've heard of too many tragedies that could have been avoided. Uh, That's courtesy of the Royal Life Saving Society. Well, to talk about the organisation's efforts to prevent drowning and about water safety is Lee Hurd, who's the charity director with the Royal Life Saving Society. And he joins me on the line now. Good evening, Lee. Good evening, Clive. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, just touch briefly on uh, who the Royal Life Saving Society UK is. So we're a charity. We've been around a long time now. It's around 130 years. We initially set up because at the time we had an ex-Olympic diver that was diving into the water and noticed that a lot of people were unfortunately getting into trouble around him. So he set up the charity to fundamentally help educate all those people around him to make better use of the water and do it safely in our our principles have remained the same ever since. You know, it's about helping people to safely enjoy the water, but fundamentally we want to make sure that nobody drowns in that pursuit. Now, you did some research recently, didn't you, um, into uh, children and water safety. What was that research and what did you find from it? So for a number of years now, we've been using uh, a database called the Way Database. It's through an organisation called the National Water Safety Forum, which is um, a collaboration of organisations like ourselves, the RNLI, and the Fire and Rescue Service and organisations like the Canela River Trust that I know are prominent in the area. Um, and what that data does is help us to plot the, the unfortunate incident of drowning and help understand it a little bit better. And, and what we've found last year and, and trending now over the last five years is that child dr- drowning especially is significantly on the increase. So last year, compared to the five-year average, there's 46% more children drowning than ever before. So it's something that we're really concerned about. Now, recently we had Drowning Prevention Week. Tell me more about that. So we've been running that now for about 11 years, and and the whole purpose behind it really is to try and plug a gap in public knowledge around water safely at a really critical time of the year. So we we unfortunately have around 60% of the drownings um, that happen around um, the year, happen in the three summer months, and we know that unfortunately that's because Many more people are out enjoying the weather. There's a lot more children off school having a lot more free time, so they're around the water. So we run it this time of the year through education, through leisure facilities. You're doing an amazing job. And then through the media as well, especially social media, to try and get messages to children and families critically this time of year so they can go out and enjoy the water through the summer, but hopefully do it in a safe way so we don't see more tragic drowning incidents. But people don't seem to be getting the message because we hear year in uh, about children and young people uh, getting into difficulty in open water. So why do you think that message isn't getting home? I think there's a few critical elements, really. I think, I think what we've seen in the data recently, um, and, and it starts with looking at school swimming data. So we know that in England, um, I'm very fortunate, cause it's not the same in other countries, even other home nations. So this isn't comparable in Scotland or Wales. Um, swimming is on the curriculum in the PE curriculum. Um, there's, there's three requirements that are needed. One of those is to swim 25 metres. But what we've actually seen in that data is if you are from a low-income family as opposed to a high-income family, those children are 50% less likely to meet that outcome of leaving primary school, being able to swim 25 metres. So 
We've been lobbying the government since 2017, actually, to try and look at that problem differently because it is, and an, at the moment, an issue where if you are from a low-income family, you're less likely to receive that information and, and potentially more likely to drown. So we've been lobbying the government to put water safety on the school curriculum in the class-based setting so children can at least gather some theoretical knowledge to understand about the water, understand things like cold water, temperature, riptides, currents, so that fundamentally they've just got some base level knowledge to try and avoid risk and prevent accidents in the water. I think without that, we do worry that children just aren't getting the level of exposure they need to be safe. But surely you can be connecting with parents and guardians because they can advise the children until they get that structured input from school, surely? Yes, and we, and we do do that. Um, I mean, we've, we've launched an animation at the start of Drowning Prevention Week um, and what we've been fundamentally trying to do, which we've not done in other years, um, is supplement the work that's going on at school. So we have about 400,000 children through the week getting school education this week. And we've been using special um, adverts and messages through social media to get to specific families and specific areas where we know that there is a challenge. So we're using targeted messaging. I think, you know, we hope we can get through to all those families. We do as much as we can as a charity that isn't statutory funded. Um, but our message to a lot of parents this week has been, and um, we hope that some parents listen tonight, we hope that they can have the water safety conversation with their children using our water safety code to get through that vital message this summer. What's the water safety curriculum bill then? And how will that help? So that is um, what we hope to get put into law. That is making it mandated on the school curriculum um, that every single child has right. access to a class-based lesson. Um, because at the moment, um, you know, if I could speak frankly, the, mm -hmm. the government seem to think it's okay that as swimming is on the school curriculum, that's acceptable. But like I said, the, there's definitely inadequacies, especially for certain communities within our population that aren't getting access to that. So we... We just fundamentally don't believe it's good enough. So we're trying to write it in law through the bill. Every single child, at every single key stage, gets a water safety lesson in the classroom. And although we would always be advocates to getting children in the water and learn to swim, that's really important. Actually, if that isn't possible, and we know it's not because of the current data, actually, at least if they have lessons in the classroom, then we'd go in some way and hopefully that will save more lives. I suppose it's like drawing parallels with people learning to drive. It's all right having a driving school teaching somebody to learn to drive a vehicle, but they're not teaching them to drive that vehicle safely on the open road. And I guess uh, what you're looking for is something similar in in the sense that it's all right learning to swim, but, you know, it's where and when you do it. Yeah, I couldn't have put that better myself, actually, because, again, some of the data that we've looked at, we've looked at 240 really tragic incidents of drowning and almost 50% of that data, the individual was cited as being able to swim. So we've got a, we've got a certain challenge as well in terms of maybe we're giving our young people, especially, um, a false perception of their ability, especially because they learn to swim in a in a warm, regulated uh, swimming pool, whether a lifeguard on the poolside, and also they can see the bottom and there's, there's very little hazards. I think we're giving potentially if we're only teaching swimming and not teaching water safety theoretical knowledge around that potentially giving our children enough um, knowledge and perception of their ability to go out there and put themselves at risk so that 
that theoretical knowledge is really critical to supplement practical knowledge. What is your understanding of the most common cause of drowning? Is it, for example, people going to open waters, quarries, canals, rivers and things like that and not doing uh, that, you know, that, that sort of risk assessment because they haven't had that, that educational input? Or is it, you know, in other means? Yeah, so the, 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 the statistics around where people drown is 60% inland, um, and that's mainly rivers and lakes, and then 40% of the coast. So I think when, when I mention that statistic, I think that just surprised people. I think they fundamentally believe that because the coast is probably seen as a riskier environment, they would consider more people to drown at the coast. But actually what we see in the data is that's lower, and, and why we believe that is is because most families... Um, are aware of those risks and they will go to lifeguarded beaches where they set the red and yellow flags up and they know that it's relatively safe. And if they do get into trouble, then there is a professional lifeguard there to assist them and get them out of the water. The challenge we have with a lot of inland um, waterways, rivers and lakes, especially around high populated areas, and there's, and there's lots of those in the, in the local area, um, is that there's not that professional lifeguard supervision. So people are going to these riskier places to take part in what is normally in-water play. It's not It's not that they're going for a, a swim for leisure necessarily. It's normally to cool off. But there is nobody there to, to assist them and help them and get them out in terms of professional lifeguard capacity. So for us, it's a, it's a real gap in knowledge about people's understanding of how to behave in those kind of cold open water environments where there's flowing water because again they've they've had a, a swimming tradition that's given them a comfort blanket which is in a swimming pool which is really safe what would you say to somebody listening who is thinking of um you know when they're out next if they're too hot of jumping into open water um you know what what would what would be your advice apart from don't do it I think we have to be really mindful that um, open water swimming is, is something that is becoming more and more popular. And to that community, the open water swimming community, they do it, you know, the, the sport has grown in a really safe way. Um, they're very aware about the fact that they need to wear bright coloured clothing, bright coloured swim hats and have toe floats available with them. And also that they are um, in groups and supervised and that there's someone there that's got some ability to uh, call for help and get the emergency services. So I think we have to be mindful of that. But what I would say to groups of young men especially, that if you haven't had that level of knowledge, understanding and practice in cold water, really if you're not going to a place where it's, there's a lifeguard uh, on the side, um, someone there that can help you and professionally help you, then our, our message is pretty clear. We wouldn't like people to go in. But if people are going to heed those warnings, because we are realistic, um, we know that people are still going to want to enter the water. There's some really simple tips that can help people. So staying close to the edge is critical. You see it time and time again that young men especially want to try and swim across large bodies of water and they get halfway across and get too fatigued and then get into trouble. So stay close to the edge, stay within uh, knee depth so that you can easily stand up. And if... If you always have somebody on the side that is able to raise the alarm and call 999, that will always help you. And, and the final message is about just some sort of self-rescue skills. So we use a float as a teaching technique and a message all the time. Drowning is fundamentally a process where your, your nose and mouth is asphyxiated and so you can't get air. And so lying on your back, looking up to the sky, floating, just using your hands as paddles to keep you at the surface of the water 
will mean that your airway is completely clear and that will give you vital minutes to get some somebody to help you raise the alarm call 999 and get somebody there to help you so that float message is really critical and again we know it saves lives fighting the urge to panic and float on your back is a critical self-rescue skill it's interesting you say about that because I was watching uh, Morning Live yesterday on BBC One and Dr. Raj Singh uh, was in the Thames, bless him, with the RNLI people, I hasten to add, uh, and he was actually doing a practical demonstration on Float to Live, which is what you've just been talking about. Uh, and I've seen that done on television quite recently in something else, and I can't remember what it was, but that seems to be a very, very good way if you do get yourself into trouble um, to actually, uh, you know, buy yourself some time until you can be rescued. Yeah, we're all, physiologically, we're all pretty good at floating. The air in the, on our body able, enables us to stay at the surface of the water. For some, it's harder than others, especially if you've got very small body mass. So if, if you, but I think even with very small body mass and, and a, a lower density of air in the body, just with a little bit of movement on the surface, um, it's, it's relatively easy to float and it's even easier to float if you're falling and you've got your clothes, clothes on because clothing does fill with air as well. So that, that is a really simple bit of advice. I think the challenge is that we are kind of hardwired that when we fall in the water to kind of swim, try and mm. swim, and that kind of inherently just invokes some sort of panic and that's when we see people get into trouble. So it's, it's about, and the, the flow message says it's about fighting your instincts, just rolling over, lying on your back look into the sky and it's much easier than just to gather your thoughts and get someone to help you than if you are panicking and obviously that is a, a tragic and horrible situation to be in um, but lying on your back floating will again give you vital minutes and save your life now for somebody like me i'll freely admit to you i'm i'm about six foot four and i'm built like the proverbial um and it's hard to think that somebody of my build can float but the human body can can't it yeah, it's it's um it's it's rel- relatively to the air in your body, so the air will help you to float and rise to the surface. Um, like I said, some people will need to work a little bit harder, but just moving your hands actually just gives you you know enough ability just to keep yourself at the surface and manoeuvre around. So. Yeah, all of us have got the ability to float just some better than others. I mean, I, I'll, again, I, I can't swim. It's something that I never learned to do. But if I found myself in a situation where, you know, I was I was stuck like that, which I wouldn't put myself in that in the first place. Um, but if I found myself in a situation where that happened, I, I, it's difficult to say try not to panic because I think I would, despite knowing float to live. Yeah, we, we totally understand that. And it's why we are so keen at teaching children at a very young age that technique, because I think if you can remember it and you can practice it, then it becomes a little bit more inherent. But I think if everyone can try and remember that, and if there's any takeaway from our conversation today, it's about that technique. Um, hopefully, if that ever happened to anybody, whether they can swim or not, hopefully they recall that and just remember, actually, I remember what Lee said, I need to lie on my back and float, and hopefully that's enough to keep them nice and safe and get them out of the water where can we find out more information then lee and some top tips so if you go to the uh, royal life center society uk website at the moment and um, joining prevention week is all over our website we've got information and resources for um, parents to use to educate their children we've got videos and graphics to use which makes it much more fun and we've also got some resources for parents to actually teach some of these techniques such as floating in in the family swim time so if, if private swimming lessons are something that just are beyond your reach at the moment in terms of the finances of it 
actually taking your children to a swimming pool on a on a Saturday afternoon uh, is a, is a little bit cheaper, and you can teach those skills to your children. So, you know, that we'd encourage everyone to go there. And the messages are really simple: if you get in strong in the water, lie on your back and float. If you see something in the water, call nine 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 and get the emergency services there and encourage them to float. But please don't go in after them because you who could be a casualty of what's going on at that time. Lee Hurd, Charity Director with the Royal Life Saving Society UK, thank you very much for talking to Friday Night Live. That is your lot for this episode. You can catch the programme live every Friday night on Black Country Radio from 7pm. If you love our podcast, then please subscribe by heading to blackcountryradio.co.uk forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. See you very soon. This is a Black Country Radio podcast presented by Clive Payne, produced by Andy Caddick.